Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 6. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to. Mark chapter 6, and as you're turning, I want to welcome those of you in Montgomery County and Prince William and Loudoun and Arlington and those of you who are online in different places. It's good to be together around God's Word, and regardless of where you are, I want to welcome you to the start of our 2022 Metro DC Spring Break mission trip. Now, you might think, I didn't sign up for a mission trip, but I have surprising news for you today. When you walked into the room where you are sitting right now, or you joined in online, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you signed up. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here, one of our locations joining in online with friends or family who've invited you or maybe just exploring Christianity on your own, we are really, really glad you're here. And we would love for you to be a part of this mission trip with us. I'll talk more about that later. But for everyone who is a follower of Jesus, this is actually what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When you chose to follow Jesus, you signed up, not just for a mission trip, you signed up for a mission life. So there's a sense in which this Sunday is no different than any other Sunday. This is a gathering of Jesus people on mission in the world. But the reason I'm welcoming you to a two-week mission trip today is because of the word we're about to hear from God. So we're walking through the story of Jesus in the book of Mark, and today we come to a time when Jesus sends out his disciples on a short-term mission trip. So let's go ahead and read it together, and then I'll explain more. Mark chapter 6, verse 7 says, he, he being Jesus, called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, we don't know exactly how long this mission trip lasted, but we do know it was for a relatively short period of time. And if you look at what happens right after this in Mark, you see, start reading a little further down, how the story of how John the Baptist died. That goes from verse 14, where we just left off, all the way down to verse 29. And then you read verse 30. Listen to what it says. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So at this point, they've come back and they spend time debriefing all that they had done with Jesus. So the reason I'm calling this a two-week mission trip 
for us is because next Sunday, our plan is to study verses 14 through 29 together about John the Baptist, and then we'll come back to verse 30 two Sundays from now. So we're going to look at the next two weeks as a mission trip that starts with Jesus sending his disciples out today and then ends when they come back to him two Sundays from now. So basically, over the next two weeks, I want to call us to do what Jesus called his disciples to do in our text today, to go on a mission trip. So if you've never been on a mission trip before, here's how it works. You travel with a group of people to a particular place. I think about large trips we've taken as a church, for example, to places like the DR or Ethiopia. And the whole goal of the trip is to work together to build up the church in that place and lead people to Jesus in that place. That's what you go on the trip for. And usually when you get to that place, everybody gets together to make sure you understand, okay, here's where we are and here's what we're going to be doing. So that's what we're doing today. Here we are in our nation's capital, which interestingly, a lot of people come to Metro DC for mission trips. We just so happen to live here. So let's think about where we are, a metropolitan area of about 6 million people over 6 million actually, research shows that in this location where we're going on this mission trip, about 12.5% of people are in churches. Now, we don't know what kind of churches. We do know that just because someone is in church does not mean they're a follower of Jesus. All kinds of people call themselves Christians and go to church who are not followers of Jesus. But even if we assume all of the people who are in churches are Jesus' people, that still leaves over 5.3 million others in this city where we're doing this mission trip who don't know Jesus. 5.3 million individual people who if they were to die Today, tomorrow, anytime over the next two weeks would go to everlasting, never-ending judgment and suffering. Now, usually on a mission trip, you don't know any of these people. But that's different for us these two weeks because some of these individuals are your family. Others are your friends. Some are your neighbors. Some are your classmates at school or teammates in sports. Some are your coworkers. And then, yes, some of them you will interact with for the first time over the next two weeks in a store or a restaurant or a gym or wherever else you go. I think of an Uber driver I met on a ride last week. He's from Soviet Georgia. And as we were talking about the war in Ukraine, I asked him, if you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? And he looked back at me in the rearview mirror and said, huh, that's a really good question, man. He said, I have no idea, but if I were to guess, I would probably not go to heaven. 
So I shared the gospel with him, invited him to put his trust in Jesus, gave him my information to follow up. And there are over five million people, men, women, teenagers, boys, girls, just like that Uber driver in this city right now who don't know Jesus. So we have a lot of work to do together. And that's the key, together. None of us is on this trip alone. You don't go on a mission trip alone. And even here in Mark chapter 6, Jesus gave these instructions to his disciples collectively. He even called them to go out together two by two. That's why we are calling every person who's a part of MBC, this church family, to be a part of a church group or a community where you're caring for each other like family and growing together in Christ and making disciples together on mission. You can always find out information about how to connect to one of those groups on our website. But this is what it means to be the church. It means to be on mission together. Sadly, we've created a whole picture of church today as an event that you attend on a Sunday every once in a while or even join in online when that is not biblically what the church is. It's what we've made up the church to be, but we're fooling ourselves if we think that's church. It's not church according to Jesus. Church is Jesus uniting his people together on mission. So let's think together about this mission trip that he's sending us out on. And I really do want us to think just about the next two weeks right now. So let's picture it like we've traveled to Metro DC for the next two weeks. And today we're kicking off our trip. And I just want to give us Five simple words of encouragement for this trip straight from this text. Here they are. First, I want to encourage us to go in Jesus' name. To go in Jesus' name. So verse 7 says, Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. There's so much here in just this one verse. Think about it. Who Jesus is sending out here? He's sending out, the Bible says, the 12. And we look back at these 12 disciples, and we have great respect for them and all they did in the days to come for the church and the spread of the gospel in the world. But at this point in Mark chapter 6, let's think about the impression we have of them. Because when we think just about what we've seen to this point— we realize these guys going out on this trip were not the sharpest tools in the shed. They're, they're not who you even want to be on a mission trip with you. With. Like just two chapters before this, Jesus told that parable of the soils, a relatively simple parable, they were clueless. And right after that in chapter 4, we see them scared and afraid. In chapter 5, they're frustrated. And keep in mind, none of these guys are from the religious elite, elite or anything elite. They were common at best, despised at worst. Fisherman, a tax collector, another one who was seen like a zealot terrorist, and they still had a lot to learn. It's not like they'd arrived. Two chapters after this, Jesus says to them, do you guys still not get it? Then two chapters after that, they're arguing over who's better than each other. 
But here they are in Mark chapter 6, and Jesus is sending them out to do what? To cast out demons and unclean spirits and to heal people and to preach? How is that possible? And the language is so powerful here. When Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out. That's actually one word in the original language of the New Testament, apostello, from which we get the word apostle. It literally means to send out on an authorized mission on someone else's behalf. And that is the picture of what is happening here. Jesus is not just sending these guys to go out on their own behalf. Jesus is sending out these disciples in his name, with his authority to do his work. And that's so important to realize. These guys were not going out to start their own work. They were going out to extend Jesus' work. Not on their own, but as Jesus' representatives, with Jesus' message and Jesus' power, with Jesus' authority to do Jesus' work. They couldn't cast out unclean spirits on their own, heal people on their own, preach on their own. Not these guys, not in and of themselves. The whole point was that they would be going out in Jesus' name. And the same is true for us in our mission trip over these next two weeks. I look around this room, and with all due respect, I do not see the sharpest tools in the shed. And for those of you at other locations and online, I can see right through those cameras, and I am not encouraged. (laughs) And here's what I mean. I see people all across this room and other locations online who are struggling in their faith in a variety of different ways. I see people, some of whom it was a struggle for you even to get here today. I see people who have so much more to learn about the Bible and what it means to follow Jesus. I see people who feel tired and weak in a variety of ways. I see people who have struggles with sin and doubts and fears and worries and anxiety. I see people who are afraid to share the gospel to the point where most people don't do it. We've asked that question before in surveys we've we've taken as a church family. And the majority of us don't share the gospel. We feel uncomfortable when we have the opportunity. We're not sure how to begin a conversation that leads to talking about Jesus. And even if we know, we get in situations where we could start that conversation and we bail. And I should just add at this point that I am one of those people. And you might say, no, you're not. You're the pastor. And to that, I would say, you are a fool. (laughs) If you think that any pastor doesn't have more to learn or doesn't have struggles and fears and weakness, 
and doesn't sometimes sit silent in the face of everyday opportunities to share the gospel. So brothers and sisters, we're all in this together. But Jesus, Jesus has called our names, us, to go out these next two weeks as his representatives in this city with his authority to do his work. Is this not awesome? Christian, every follower of Jesus, within the sound of my voice, you have been summoned by Jesus and his love for you. Not just to be saved by him, but to be sent out by him. And these next two weeks, again, just just look at it like a short-term mission trip, just like it was for these first disciples. These next two weeks, God has placed you and me in metropolitan Washington, D.C., in a sea of over 5 million people in need of Jesus. And he's sending you and me out today in his name to do his work across the city, in your school, in your workplace in your neighborhood, at that gym or restaurant, wherever you go over the next two weeks. And none of us, none of us needs to underestimate what can happen when we go out in the name of Jesus. I want to tell you a story about Anil and Hari. And I was looking back. I told this story Here, standing on this stage exactly five years ago this month, before I even became pastor here, and I was reminded of it this week when I met a brother in India, from India, who is living out this exact same story right now back in India. And he had tears in his eyes telling me about all that God is doing in Jesus' name. So five years ago, I told you about Bihar, India one of the most spiritually and physically impoverished places in the world. So Bihar is a state in India about the geographic size of Virginia. The only difference is Virginia has about 8 million people. Bihar has about 100 million people. Spread out across 45,000 different villages. And the majority of those people are extremely poor. Millions living in desperate poverty. And the majority of them are unreached by the gospel. They've never had anybody tell them the good news of God's love in Jesus. Bihar is approximately 0.1% Christian. Most Indians in Bihar are Hindu and have been for generations. But I'll never forget a mission trip I was on in Bihar when I met Anil and Hari. Anil is a school superintendent and Hari is a chicken farmer. And years ago, these brothers were struggling in their faith and struggling to share their faith when they came to some training that we had helped provide in disciple-making. And at this training, they were encouraged to get together in groups of two, go into a village that had no church, no Christians, and the first person you see that talks with you say this line, hi. We are here in the name of Jesus, and we would like to pray for your village. Is there anything we can pray for? So that was the instruction given in this training. Anil and Hari looked at each other and said, this will never work. But then, as they talked, they looked back at each other and were like, 
Nothing we do ever works, so we might as well try it. <laughs> so they got together just as Jesus instructed his disciples to do here. It's a group of two. They go out, the first village they came to. Nobody even paid attention to them until they'd almost gotten to the entire village and a man came up to them and asked, what are you doing here? So Neil and Hari start their pre-recorded line. Hi, we're here in the name of Jesus. And before they could finish the rest of the line, the guy interrupted them and said, did you just say Jesus? He said, I've heard a little bit about him. Can you tell me more? And Neil and Hari look at each other and said, yes, we can tell you more. So they start sharing about Jesus with this man, and then he interrupts them again. This is where they think, oh, it's about to go awry. But the man said, listen, I want my friends and family to hear what you're saying. Would you mind me gathering them together before you go on? Neil and Hari look at each other. No, we don't mind at all. And so they follow this man to his house. He says, I'll be right back. He goes, gets a group of his friends and family. They come back. They sit around Anil and Hari and say, please tell us about Jesus. So Anil and Hari start to tell them for the first time, these people hearing the good news of God's love in Jesus. And to make a long story short, over the next couple of weeks, about 20 people came to faith in Jesus in that village. Now, the beauty is what happened next. Anil and Hari looked at these brand new believers who just placed their faith in Jesus and said, here's what you need to do. You need to get together in groups of two. And you need to go into other villages. And when you get in the village, use this line. And you're not going to think it's going to work. But it worked on you guys. So, so go into the other villages and you do the same thing. And let's see what God does. And Three years later, people had come to Christ and churches had started in 350 different villages as a result of what happened in one village. Or more appropriately put, because of what happened when two guys went out in Jesus' name. And the Indian brother I met this last week, is doing the same thing today. He was telling me about all that God is doing. So I think about our church family, like right here, right now, and this city, the capital of our country, the opportunity we have to make disciples and multiply churches here across Metro DC and around the world. Like if 20 believers in Bihar, India, starting with two, filled with the Spirit of God, went out proclaiming the gospel of God, could see what they've now seen, how much more with thousands of people going out from this church in Jesus' name. So let's do this. Let's refuse to sit back in silent, casual, comfortable cultural Christianity where we just go on with the greatest news in the world kept to ourselves. This is not what we were made for. Let's stop wasting our time. Let's go out in Jesus' name, even just over the next two weeks. Go out in Jesus' name. Second word of encouragement. Let's trust in God's provision. I got to pick up the pace here. Verse 8 Jesus charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Now, get the picture here. No, I'm not saying you need to find some sandals and a staff and a tunic. Like your J's and your backpack or your suit and your briefcase or whatever it is will be just fine. But get the picture here. 
Imagine, imagine laying out on your bed everything you plan to take on a mission trip with you and then hearing Jesus say, okay, put on one set of clothes and grab your toothbrush and let's go. The picture was clear. Jesus was calling his disciples to trust God to supply everything they would need on this trip. Jesus was calling them to a journey of faith. And that is exactly what we are embarking on over the next two weeks. It's a journey of faith, of trust in God to provide us everything we need, to give us spiritual strength in our weakness. Spiritual courage when we're tempted to cower. Spiritual power over our timidity. You look over at the same charge that Jesus gives to his disciples on the short-term mission trip, the parallel account in Matthew chapter 10, and Jesus says, I and my Father and the Holy Spirit will give you everything you need, including the words to say to people when you need them, just trust me. This is so significant. Don't miss this. Christian brother or sister, you don't need faith. You don't need trust in God to live out a quiet, comfortable, casual, cultural Christian life over the next two weeks that ignores people in need of the gospel. You don't need God to do that. You can do that just fine on your own. Millions of professing Christians are doing that on their own every week. But Jesus is calling you and me, us together, to something greater, to something higher. Jesus is calling us to step out in faith, to trust in him, to say, God, over the next two weeks, so just the next two weeks, that's all we're talking about today, for two weeks to say, I don't want to sit back and settle for self-centered, self-saturated Christianity that never speaks the gospel of your love and life to others. I want to spend these next two weeks living for people who don't know Jesus around me. So for us to say to God in that, I can't do this on my own. I, let's be honest, God, I'm weak, I'm timid, I'm afraid. But these two weeks, I want to step out in faith. I want to go for it. Let the chips fall where they may. But I want to trust you to help me live the life you've created me and sent me out to live. Don't be mistaken. Life is not found in hoarding the gospel. Life is found in giving the gospel. You were made for this. This is life calling you. Jesus is calling you and me to life today. And I guarantee you, you say, God, I'm stepping out in faith. I'm going for it. I guarantee you, God will provide for you. God is waiting for you to trust him like that, to step out and trust him, to give you what you need to do his work that he's left you on this earth to do. This is what you and I were made for. So let's do it. Let's go out in Jesus' name. Let's trust in God's provision. 
And then third, here it is. This is where the rubber meets the road. Let's call people to repent. Let's call people to repent. This is the primary activity you do on a mission trip. You don't travel somewhere else in the world to just go be good, nice people for a week or two. Put a smile on your face and do good things here and there. Like you travel on a mission trip to proclaim great, eternally important news, which is what we see in verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, which makes sense, doesn't it? Because we're going out in Jesus' name with Jesus' authority and Jesus' message. This is exactly what Jesus told people to do. Remember his first words in the book of Mark? We've looked at it numerous times. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That word means to turn from your sin and yourself and judgment that is coming and trust, believe in the good news. It's what gospel means of God's love for you. So this is where you come in if you're not yet a follower of Jesus today because this is the message of the entire Bible. The Bible teaches that We have all been created for relationship with God, forever relationship with God. It will never, ever end. The problem is we have all sinned against God. We've all turned aside from God and his ways to ourselves and our own ways. We think we know better than God how to live. And our sin has separated us from God and warrants judgment before God. And if we die in this state of separation and judgment, we will spend eternity separated from relationship with God and experiencing judgment due our sin forever and ever. But God loves us. And God doesn't want us to experience that. This is why God has come to us in the person of Jesus The kingdom of God is at hand. The king has come to pay the price for sin on a cross, then to rise from the grave in victory over death so that anyone anywhere who repents, turns from their sin and every attempt to save themselves and believes in the gospel, the good news that Jesus is Savior and Lord, you will be forgiven of all your sin and restored to relationship with God forever. That is Jesus' message for you today. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus has brought you here. Online, whatever location in this room, he's brought you here right now. It's not an accident that you're here. God is speaking to your heart, saying, turn from your sin and yourself. Trust in my love for you. Trust in what Jesus has done for you. That's not my message. That's his message. We invite you to repent and believe today. And then... When you do, 
And church, for every follower of Jesus, this is the message Jesus has given us to tell people all throughout the city over the next two weeks. Repent and believe in the gospel. Call people to do this because their lives for eternity are dependent on doing this. And you know this. That actually leads us back to verse 11. And this picture of shaking the dust off your feet if people don't listen to you, this would basically be a symbolic gesture to indicate that somebody or a group of people or even a town had rejected Jesus' call to repent. And the picture is, once the disciples, the followers of Jesus, have done their part, they've gone out and called people to repent, they can't control how people respond. And if people reject the gospel, then Jesus says, you have done your responsibility. How they respond is their responsibility. It's a similar picture to what we see in Ezekiel chapter 33. The Bible gives a picture there. Imagine being a watchman on a wall, and you see danger coming in the distance. And as long as you blow the trumpet and sound the warning, it's up to the people within the walls to respond to that. The language is clear in Ezekiel 33, saying, if those people are harmed or killed, they had a chance to respond. You warned them. Their blood is on their hands. That's the language in Ezekiel 33. But if you're a watchman and you see danger coming and you don't blow the trumpet, you don't sound the warning, you stay silent and people are harmed or killed, God says their blood is on your hands. So get the picture, Christian brother or sister, because it's sobering. There are five million plus people in this city, many of whom you and I will interact with this week for whom eternal danger is coming at any moment. And you and I know this. We know this. God has told us this. And sure, we cannot control how people will respond to the gospel, but do you know what we can control? Whether people hear the gospel. Whether the people you go to school with or work with or we meet this week, whether they hear the good news of God's love and the warning of God's coming judgment. We can control that. So the question is, will they hear that good news and warning from us? Or over the next two weeks, will we sit silent on the wall? God help us not to be silent. God help us to call people to repent. And as we do, so fourth word of encouragement for this mission trip, let's care for people in need. Let's care for people in need. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So there's a ton we could talk about here when it comes to casting out demons and evil spirits, healing the sick, but don't miss the big picture. Jesus was calling his followers to go to people in need 
and to care for them. Even this picture of anointing the sick with oil, there's only one other place we see that picture specifically in the Bible in James chapter 5, and the oil was a symbol, get this, of the presence and the grace of God with this person who was in need. What a picture. Jesus is saying, go to people in need and care for them in such a way that they see God's presence is with them and God's grace is for them. What a perspective on our city. Over the next couple of weeks, let's look below the surface. Let's put aside the busyness of our lives and intentionally ask, who is hurting around me and how can I help them in such a way that they see that God is with them and God is for them? What a mission we've been given What an honor to represent Jesus and his love for people in need, to be sent out, put it all together, in Jesus' name, with his provision, to share his message and show his love. What else better do you have to do with your life over the next two weeks than this? So let's do this. Before we draw all this to a close, and actually before I give you that fifth word of encouragement, I want us to think together about our plan for the next two weeks. So you don't go on a mission trip without a plan for how you're going to spend your time. So I want to give you just a couple of minutes before we close to at least think about, and I would encourage you to the extent it's possible for you to do right now to write this down, whether it's a pen and paper or on a device or whatever, But right now, to write down, at least think about answers to three questions. So here they are, putting together mission trip plan. First question is who? I think intentionally right now about who in your sphere of influence in this city can you call over the next two weeks to repent and believe in the gospel? Obviously, we want to be open to conversations God opens up with people we don't know, like the Uber driver. But I'm guessing we all already have people we do know who don't know Jesus. And even if a lot of names don't come to mind, well, probably ask the question, am I hanging out with Christians too much? But write down who you will or could interact with over the next two weeks, this mission trip, who don't know Jesus. And then think how. How am I going to care for them? And how am I going to call them to repent and believe in the gospel? Both and. How am I going to care for them and call them to repent and believe in God's love for them? So think through a plan. Maybe it's uh, getting together for a meal or coffee, something else you can set up. Maybe it's an email or a letter you can write and send. Maybe it's inviting them to church next week and then going to lunch after that. So many different ways this could play out. But how are you going to sound the warning and share the good news of God's love over the next two weeks with at least one of the people under the who question? At least one. And then think about when knowing there is an adversary who wants you to hear this this morning 
and then do nothing for days until you have forgotten. So think and plan intentionally. When are you going to reach out in love to at least one of these people with the gospel? You don't go into a mission trip not knowing, okay, I don't really have a plan for the next few days. Like, what's the plan? Who, how, when? Can I give you just a couple minutes to think through this? This is not just uh, just hear this and kind of move on. I want you to soak this in for a second. Let me give you just a couple minutes in this room, wherever you are, other locations online. Just think about these questions and start to pray for courage to step into this. But let's think strategically. Spend a couple minutes and then I'll bring us back together and give that fifth word of encouragement. Feel free to keep writing if you need extra time. By all means, keep going. But one final word of encouragement before we go out on this mission trip. So go in Jesus' name, not in your own power and your own strength, in Jesus' name. Trust in God's provision. It's a journey of faith where you will see God move in ways you would not see if you're just sitting in silent,
comfortable cultural Christianity. Call people to repent and believe in the gospel and care for people in need as you do. And then, finally, share what God does. Share what God does. So, Lord willing, two Sundays from now, we'll get to Mark chapter 6, verse 30, when these disciples come back and encourage each other and share all that has happened on their trip. And this is always one of the best parts of a mission trip, is when you hear other people sharing what God has done, you have an opportunity to do the same, what God's done in your lives, through your lives, through your life together. Now that's obviously a bit of a challenge with a group this size over multiple locations, though I would encourage you, like during church groups over the next couple of weeks, share along these lines, share stories of what God is doing on this mission trip. And at the same time, I want to provide an outlet for us to share with each other across the church. So I'm going to put an email up here on the screen. Super simple. Mission trip at mclanebible.org. Mission trip at mclanebible.org. And I want to ask all of you, every follower of Jesus, within the sound of my voice, to send an email here. Sometime over the next two weeks, at some point, if, if not at multiple points, at least at one point, with anything you see God do in you, through you, during these two weeks. And let's be clear, it doesn't have to be an amazing story of you spoke the gospel, someone, tears immediately came to their eyes, they fell down on their knees and called out for Jesus like, yes, praise God. If that happens, we'd love to hear that story. But also share that story of, I stepped out, went for it, I fumbled through it. I don't think it was really that clear. They were like, I don't really want to listen to what you're saying. And they left. Like, share that too. Because some other people are going to experience that too. It'd be nice to hear some, and every, instead of everybody having these awesome stories, and you're like, I got a lame story. Like, it's okay. It's, the point is, we're doing what Jesus has told us to do. And we can trust him with the fruit of that. How many of us, the first time we heard the gospel, turned away from it? Thankfully, there was a seed planted there that grew or however long and came to life one day. So trust God with the fruit. We're going to share what God does. So I'm asking you, teenagers, adults, kids, like you may not have an email address, have one of your parents send in something for you. And let's fill up this inbox with stories during this two-week mission trip. And I want to share some of those in a way that encourages each other. And don't worry, I promise not to share your name unless I get permission from you first. So you don't have to be concerned. If you send something in, it's automatically going to be read with your picture on the screen. Like, that would miss the point. Remember, this is all about Jesus' message with Jesus' authority for Jesus' glory. And that's how I want to share our stories. Make sense? All right. Welcome to the Metro DC 2002 spring break mission trip. You say we're a little early because uh, there you go. We're pumped up for spring break mission trip. And you're like, students are like, we're not out for spring break. And that's kind of the point. We're on mission in school and at work in our everyday lives. So let's spend these next two weeks on a mission trip and let's see what God does. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we are so thankful 
for the gospel we have to share. We don't take it for granted that somebody shared this gospel with us. And we have relationship with you that will last for eternal life. And we thank you for filling us with your spirit. Lord, I just speak that your words over your people. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So God, we pray, unleash the power of your spirit in hundreds and thousands of your representatives, your sons and daughters, your people this week and next week in Metro Washington, D.C. And we ask, as we go out in Jesus' name, we ask in Jesus' name, bring new life, we pray. For some of these people who are on this, who come into our minds, God, we pray that some, many of them, we pray, would come to know you. We pray that you would help us to care for people well in a way that shows your love for them. And give us, grant us, oh God, boldness and courage to speak the gospel. We're going to step out in faith and trust you to provide. And we look forward to celebrating what you do in and through a group of people who we confess are not the sharpest tools in the shed. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.